Breathing in, breathing out. Let's breathe together. Take a deep breath in and let it go. All the way out. If you feel comfortable doing so, and this may feel a little silly, but just give it a shot. Try putting either one or both hands on heart center. And take another deep breath in and out. Feel that physical gesture of groundedness, of kindness, of compassion. Let's be honest, not that this is any big secret, but that the state of the world has been a lot to handle for quite a while now. Now, Jen gave us, I think, a great example of how that, that's been true in other historical periods as well with kind of the threat of um, nuclear Armageddon. But right now in this moment with coronavirus rates rising, our current president refusing to concede even in the wake of a definitive election result, there's re-traumatization going on right now of all the gaslighting and the chaos and the anxiety is just continuing to be poked and stoked, all that we've been collectively living with for years now. A number of you have shared with me along those lines that you've noticed difficulty concentrating correlated to the election in particular. Uh, let me share my screen with you briefly to give you a graphic about this. We've, we've talked about this before, but I think it's worth um, revisiting. So this is um, from uh, the neuroscientist and meditator um, Rick Hansen from his book, Buddha's Brain, though he's written many other excellent books as well. Uh, so this framework has continued to come to mind as I've been um, thinking about what it's like to live with this kind of low-level um, anxiety all the time. Uh, Rick Hansen uses this green and red color coding for the state of our nervous system. Uh, whenever we're feeling threatened or unsafe, our brains tend to shift us into what Dr. Hansen calls red reactive mode. Our nervous systems go into a kind of tightness or constriction. Maybe you can sense that within yourself. It's what's sometimes called fight, flight, or freeze mode. In contrast, and maybe you experience this even just a little when we were breathing, when we were putting our hands on heart center, when we feel protected and centered and um, protected, we can shift more into green responsive mode. When we're relaxed and open, we're more able to concentrate, to be creative, to draw from our full set of uh, inner resources. And so, you know, some of you, if you've been feeling like you're in red reactive mode a lot, just kind of even just kind of in the back of your head, this low level anxiety, you may have been experiencing even a greater sense of fatigue or malaise than usual. The truth is that even if our current presentation, pre current president's flirtations with a coup seem to have little chance of succeeding in reality, these sort of relentless low-level threats to our democratic norms, this unrelenting denial of science around the pandemic, which really is threatening us, it's, it's exhausting for us, body, mind, and spirit. So for such a time as this, it can be helpful to take a step back and reflect on what's happening to us individually and collectively and to equip ourselves freshly with some practices to shift ourselves back toward 
that more green responsive mode to get just a little nerdy about it. When we're in red reactive mode, we shift back to what's called our lizard brain, our amygdala. It's these two almond-shaped clusters of densely pass, uh, packed neurons that are by the temporal lobes of our brain. Our amygdala takes over. The amygdala shifts us back into our base animal instincts. It's been called the have sex with it or kill it part of our brain. Now, when we're in red reactive mode, it's our lizard brain, our brainstem that's taken over, and we just don't have as ready an access to those more evolved parts of ourselves that our prefrontal cortex makes possible, the more evolved parts of ourselves, compassion and clarity and concentration and equanimity and so much more, those aspects of ourselves that it may have felt more elusive of late. Now, don't get me wrong, the amygdala can be really helpful. This evolutionary inheritance um, can save our life in high threat situations. You know, if you touch a hot stove, you want your amygdala to, to react. But the thing is that our brains don't know the difference between, you know, like a knife pulled on us in a dark alley and a thought that we really disagree with or a news story that seems threatening to us. We, our bodies react to those things in the same way way. So it can cause us to exist in a state of ratcheted up anxiety, you know, kind of 24-7. So if you've been feeling a little bit wrung out lately, it's with good reason. So if you've been finding yourself lately too much in red reactive mode, again, let's try this. Take another deep breath in. And just try to let it all go just for a moment. And again, if you feel comfortable doing so, try adding that additional gesture of soothing touch. It really can help just to offer ourselves some gentleness, some kindness, some compassion, some connection. You've been going through a lot. We've all been going through a lot. Here's a related quote from the meditation teacher, Jack Cornfield. He writes, tune into your heart. That's where love and wisdom and grace and compassion reside. And with loving attention, feel into what matters most to you. Yes, there are anxious thoughts. Yes, there is grief and trauma. But he writes, don't let your heart be colonized by fear. I love that. Don't let your heart be colonized by fear. Sure, fear is going to arise from time to time, especially in such a time as this, but we really can practice noticing it, loosening around it, inclining ourselves to let it go, even if just a little bit, shifting our nervous system away from red and into the green zone. Instead of grasping on tighter and ramping ourselves even further up, which just gets us redder and redder, more entrenched in that. As the Sufi poet um, Hafez has written, fear is the cheapest room in the house. I would like to see you living in better conditions. I would like to see us all living in better, less fearful conditions. Let me say just a little bit more about that. When we're afraid, fear can seem like the only thing in the world. And if that's happening, a significant first step really is just simply noticing what's happened, noticing the fear, simple mindfulness, saying, there is fear. Oh, there's anxiety. Oh, there's, there's tightening in my gut. Or you can even try, and again, this may seem a little silly, but I promise it can work. Just say, fear, I see you. Fear, I see you. 
And it kind of opens up this dialogue. Noticing and naming can give us a little bit of space between being fully caught up and trapped in fear and beginning to witness what has happened. It can open up some spaciousness and make everything a little more workable. So along those lines, a practice that inclines my heart and mind more towards spaciousness is intentionally zooming out to put whatever I'm experiencing, negative or positive, in a larger context. And if you're open to it, I want to invite us into just a short guided meditation. So if you feel comfortable, I invite you to settle in just a little bit more into where you are right now. If it's possible for you in this moment, just sit up even just a little bit straighter so that you're a little more relaxed, but still alert. If you can put your feet on the floor, do so, grounding yourself a little more. Rest your hands in your lap. Close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing so. Loosen your shoulders a little and take another of those deep breaths in and out. And even though your eyes are closed, in your mind's eye, imagine the room that you're currently in and notice the empty space in this room, even if there's not a lot of it. Just notice there is empty space in this room. Opening yourself to feel into the experience of the room that you're in, however large or small it is, it's bigger than you. There is spaciousness. And now in your mind's eye, zoom out your attention just a little more, allowing that sense of spaciousness to grow. Begin to imagine the vast open sky that's up there above you somewhere. Noticing that whatever else is arising for you, it could be body sensations, feelings, thoughts, moods, whatever's coming up. Experiment with letting them float along just like clouds do in the sky. As the saying goes, you don't have to believe everything you think. You don't have to hold on to everything you feel. You can loosen around it, creating space, inclining yourself to let it go. And now zooming out even further still, picture outer space out there beyond the sky, the vastness, so much room and space. Whatever's coming up for you, giving yourself permission to experiment with letting go of that responsibility in this moment. It's not that you never have anything to do, but just in this moment, what is it like to just sit? To sit and know you're sitting. Nothing to do. Nowhere to go. In this moment, you are safe inclining yourself towards spaciousness, peacefulness, and ease. Taking one more breath in and out. 
can even try again placing your hand or hands on heart center once more. See if your heart is a little more open now in this moment to receive that offer from yourself of kindness, of gentleness, of connection, of compassion. You can stay here as long as you like, and as you're ready, though, you can begin to open your eyes and returning your attention to the room that you're in, knowing that this practice of zooming out, of inclining your mind and heart towards spaciousness, kindness, compassion, gentleness, that's always available to you. You can use this practice anytime, wherever you are. Now, for better or worse, I'm not quite ready to leave you there, at least for this Sunday. Here's the thing. Even if the pending change in occupants of the White House will very likely result in significant harm reduction in the world, this changing of the guards will by no means just solve all the world's problems. And for whatever confluence of reasons, there's been one other meditative concept, particularly on my mind recently, that I wanted to share with you in addition to Rick Hansen's invitation to notice. Am I in red mode in my brainstem, in my lizard brain right now, or am I in green mode? Do I have access to my prefrontal cortex and to creativity and compassion and clarity and equanimity? This additional concept is what the Buddha called the eight worldly winds. Buddhism's got lots of lists, right? The Four Noble Truths and the Eight Worldly Winds and the Eightfold Path, and you could go on for uh, states of mindfulness. As long as we're alive, the Buddha taught, the winds are going to keep shifting around these eight areas. He named pleasure and pain, gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and disrepute. And there's a certain baseline level of sanity that comes from realizing that no matter what you or I or we do, there is no way of living, no matter how much we you you the vote. Uh, there is no way of living that guarantees that we're going to just live in a constant state of pleasure, gain, praise, and fame with no pain or loss or blame or disrepute. That's just not how life works. So what then do we do? One significant response is to do the best we can for as long as we can with what we've been given. And to say more about identifying that for such a time as this, here is the final part I want to leave you with. It's a final piece from the work of the uh, echo philosopher and activist Joanna Macy that I didn't have space to include last week. And there's some potentially significant insights here as we near the beginning of a new year and seek to discern a new way forward in 2021 and beyond. Macy recently led a workshop for meditation teachers and training that was centered around three questions that are worth each of us reflecting on individually and collectively. I'll share my screen with you a final time to say more about that. The first question Macy invites us to ask is when I look at what we humans are doing to the natural world, what breaks my heart is blank. You don't have to answer this question. An answer may come up almost immediately for you, but it's a question you can sit with and kind of drop into your consciousness and see what uh, answer emerges in, you know, later today or sometime soon. 
Second, she asks, when I see what's happening to human society, what breaks my heart is blank. Notice that both times she invites us to notice what breaks my heart. Not what makes us furious, not what makes us outraged. Don't get me wrong. Those are really important things to notice as well. Our anger can alert us when our boundaries have been violated. Our outrage can fuel our work for justice. But I don't want to miss what Basie is getting at here. What breaks our heart? That question reminds me of a powerful insight from the educator and activist Parker Palmer that there are two ways for the heart to break. Our heart can break apart into many shards like a fragment grenade, uh, or it can open into greater capacity so that we can hold life's inevitable tensions creatively, not destructively. Too many of our fellow citizens have been shown only how to have your heart break like a grenade, sending shrapnel, either physical or emotional shrapnel, into anyone at close enough range. We saw that yesterday in DC. But our invitation is to model a different way, that our hearts can also break open in compassion, allowing the chance that as yet unimagined possibilities might emerge. And once we've gotten in touch with what breaks our heart about the natural world and society, Joanna Macy's third question is, if I could access all the power that there is for me coming through the web of life. Remember, she's an ecological philosopher. She's inviting you to notice that that, that seventh principle, the interdependent web of all existence, we're not just ourselves. We are part of this interdependent web. If we could access and act from that interdependent web, what is the one thing I would do for the sake of this world? So in the wake of an election that really will be fully over one day soon, as we enter the near the beginning of a new year, I invite you to spend some time with that question today or in the days to come. If I could access all the power there is coming through the web of life, the one thing I would do for the sake of my world is ask that, drop it into your consciousness, ask with real curiosity as if you don't yet know the answer and open yourself to being surprised by what might emerge. As part of responding to that question, I'll leave you in closing with this passage from Joanna Macy's book, Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. She writes that active hope, not just sitting in your chair and wishing for things to get better, but she says, active hope is not wishful thinking. Active hope is not waiting to be rescued by some savior. Active hope is waking up to the beauty of life on whose behalf we can act. We're here, we're conscious in this remarkable world. We belong to this world. The web of life is calling us forth at this time. We've come a long way. We're here to act our part. With active hope, we realize there are adventures in store, strengths to discover, comrades to link arms with. Active hope is a readiness to discover the strengths in ourselves and others, a readiness to discover the reasons for hope and the occasions for love, a readiness to discover the size and strengths of our heart, the quickness of our minds, our steadiness of purpose, our own authority, our love for life, the liveliness of our curiosity, the unsuspected deep well of patience and diligence, the keenness of our senses, our capacity to lead. None of these can be discovered in an armchair or without risk. 
There's a song that wants to sing itself through us. We just have to be available. It's like that pre-service music for those who longed in early. How can I keep from singing? We just have to be available. Maybe there's a song that is to be sung through us that is the most beautiful requiem for an irreplaceable planet. Or maybe it's a song of joyous rebirth as we seek to create a new culture that is sustainable and is not, doesn't feed on destroying its world. But in any case, there's no excuse for making our passionate love for our world dependent on what we think of its degree of health, whether we think it's going to go on forever. In this moment, right now, you're alive. I'm alive. We're alive. And we can dial up the magic of that song, sensing into the interdependent web of all existence. We can dial into that song that wants to sing itself through us. So what is it that gives you active hope? What breaks your heart? And then what emerges out of that? In the coming weeks and year, how do you feel led to practice active hope with others in this world? What song wants to sing itself through you or through us? As we hold that question in our heart, let's sing together. I know I can.